Eco Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to EcoReport. For WFHB, I'm Phil Casper. And I'm Don Guerra. Today in our feature report, Enrique Sands from Indiana Environmental Reporter talks about the suspension of water regulations in Indiana. That's coming up later in the program, but first, your environmental headlines. As of January 23rd, the iconic doomsday clock, symbolizing the gravest perils facing humankind, is now close to midnight than at any point since its creation in 1947, when the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists began using the clock to time the perils of a global apocalypse. Midnight on the clock is the hypothetical time of human extinction. As a statement issued by the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists explains, quote, Humanity continues to face two simultaneous existential dangers, nuclear war and climate change, that are compounded by threat multiplier cyber-enabled information warfare, unquote. The doomsday clock has moved closer to midnight in three of the last four years. While the clock's hands didn't move in 2019, its minute hand was set forward in 2018 by 30 seconds to two minutes before midnight. The clock was adjusted in 2017 to two and a half minutes to midnight from its previous setting of three minutes to midnight. To underscore the dire need for action, the time on the doomsday clock is now being expressed in seconds rather than minutes. On the 23rd, the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists moved the clock from two minutes to midnight to 100 seconds to midnight to express the severity of the current threats. Madagascar has embarked on its most ambitious tree-planting drive yet, aiming to plant 60 million trees in the coming months. The island nation celebrates 60 years of independence this year, and the start of the planting campaign on January 19th marked one year since the inauguration of President André Rajoelina, who has promised to restore Madagascar's lost forests. The president said the government has the challenge of making Madagascar a green island again. He encourages the people to protect the environment and reforest for the benefit of the future generations. In a span of a few hours, about one million trees were planted, according to the Environment Ministry, in an area one and a half times the size of New York City's Central Park. Madagascar, the oldest island in the world and the fourth largest, is home to an astounding range of plant and animal life. This century, it lost about one-fifth of its tree cover, according to Global Forest Watch, driven primarily by the expansion of shifting agriculture. The destruction of Madagascar's forests could sound the death knell for many of its endemic species found nowhere else on the planet. Among these are two critically endangered lemurs. Nations are beginning to realize the critical need for planting trees. Eco Report has indicated, for example, 
that Ethiopia had planted last year over 300 million trees in the course of 12 hours. That is a world record. And last week, reporting about Governor Holcomb's plans, EcoReport indicated that our state plans to plant one million trees over the next five years. The number of trees on the globe was estimated a few years ago to be three trillion. The estimate was done using satellite imagery. Thus, each photo of a land area was evaluated for its tree content. The number of trees logged per year was estimated to be 15 billion. That's two trees for every person on Earth. The replacement rate, either by planting or natural processes, was estimated to be 5 billion. Thus, the world loses 10 billion trees per year. That translates into a tree supply for 300 years. More significantly, it reveals that for all the trees being planted, the number falls very far short of what are being lost through logging. The mounting climate emergency may spur the next global financial crisis, and the world's central banks are not equipped to handle the consequences, according to a new report by the Bank for International Settlements. Located in Basel, Switzerland, the bank is an umbrella organization for the world's central banks. The report says climate change poses unprecedented challenges to human societies and even central banks. Already, the world has had the number of extreme weather events quadruple over the last four decades. The report warns that financial markets are not protected against climate-induced losses. Only a fraction of the write-downs caused by extreme weather events are now covered in the U.S. In Asia, it's just 8%, and in Africa, only 3%, according to Reuters. I think we might be on the brink of observing something that might be behind the next systemic financial crisis, Luis de Silva, one of the report's main authors, told reporters. The report also warned that central banks, which spent the last decade pulling their countries out of a deep financial crisis, may spend the next decade coping with disruptions from the climate crisis. The report warned that central banks may be called on to bail out many communities that are devastated by climate emergencies. The European Central Bank is starting to grapple with climate-related issues, according to the New York Times. The new president of the European Central Bank, Christine Lagarde, has pledged to put the climate crisis at the forefront of the bank's decisions. While we might not be ahead of the curve yet, we are not sitting on our bottoms doing nothing, Ms. Lagarde said during a news conference last week. It is going to be an important matter that will be debated during the strategy review. The world is using up more and more resources, and global recycling is falling. That's the conclusion of a new report by the Circle Economy Think Tank. They found that the world used up more than 110 billion tons of natural resources last year, as agents France Press reported. The world's economies are now only 9% circular. That means out of all the minerals, biomass, fossil fuels, and metals that enter the world's economy, only 9% are reused. No country is meeting the basic needs of its citizens while also operating within the physical boundaries of our planet. In another sober finding that points to activity headed the wrong way, the report also found that consumption has risen by more than 8%. The report, which was released by the Davos World Economic Forum, showed that on average, Every single person on the planet uses more than 13 metric tons of materials. Of course, people in wealthy industrialized nations use many more resources than the average person in a third world or developing country. Wealthy nations, the authors note, 
consume 10 times more resources per person than in the developing world and produce far more waste. A recent Oxfam report, for example, found that the average British citizen emits more greenhouse gases in two weeks than the average citizen of seven different African nations emits in an entire year. Quote, We risk global disaster if we continue to treat the world's resources as if they are limitless. Unquote said Harold Friedel, the chief executive of Circle Economy. As The Guardian reported, governments must urgently adopt circular economy solutions if we want to achieve a high quality of life for those close to 10 billion people by mid-century without destabilizing critical planetary processes. We are still fueling our growth in population and affluence by the extraction of virgin materials. We cannot do this indefinitely. Our hunger for virgin materials needs to be halted, says Mark DeWitt, director of Strategic Alliances, Amsterdam. Climate models published since 1973 have generally been quite skillful in projecting future warming. While some were too low and some too high, they all show outcomes reasonably close to what has actually occurred. For example, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change Third Assessment Report of 2001 included four different future emission trajectories. All had fairly similar emissions and warming trajectories up to 2020. One scenario projected an atmospheric CO2 concentration of 406 parts per million, slightly off the actual level of 414 ppm today. Trump climate deregulation could boost CO2 emissions by 200 million metric tons a year. In a draft environmental impact statement, the Trump administration has projected that global temperatures will rise 7 degrees Fahrenheit, about 4 degrees Celsius, above pre-industrial levels by the end of the century, according to the Washington Post. Trump's failure to lead the world by example means the Earth is now at an increasing rate of temperature rise. Ice loss from the Greenland ice sheet increased sevenfold between 1992 and 2016. The totals for last year are not yet published, but it is certain that the melt was possibly the highest in recorded history. Antarctic ice loss nearly quadrupled between 1995 and 2016. Predicting sea level rise is one of the most difficult tasks of all. For example, there's the effect of melting glaciers, the difficulty of calculating the effect of ocean mixing, and the effect of aerosols. One of the current estimates of sea level rise indicates an additional rise, beyond the current 8 inches, by another foot by 2050. That amount of rise will alter the Everglades. Very high tides are already common in South Florida, flooding streets. A rise of three feet in ocean levels would result in profound damage along the East and Gulf coasts. The Trump administration will finalize its replacement for the Obama-era Waters of the United States rule in a move that will strip protections from more than half of the nation's wetlands and allow landowners to dump pesticides into waterways or build over wetlands for the first time in decades. President Trump has been working to undo the rules since he took office, but his replacement goes even further, the New York Times explained. In addition to rolling back protections for some wetlands and streams that run intermittently or temporarily underground, it will also get rid of a requirement that landowners seek permits from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. This will be the biggest loss of clean water protection the country has ever seen, according to Bland Holman of the Southern Environmental Law Center. 
He said this puts drinking water for millions of Americans at risk of contamination from unregulated pollution. This is not just undoing the Obama rule. This is stripping away protections that were put in place in the 70s and 80s that Americans have relied on for their health. The administration announced the repeal of the Clean Water Rule last September. The rule has expanded the definition of waters of the United States under the 1972 Clean Water Act. The new legislation includes streams and wetlands. The rule was controversial before Trump took office. Many farmers and businesses thought it gave the federal government too much power, and court rulings had suspended it in 28 states. Trump said, quote, I terminated one of the most ridiculous regulations of all, the last administration's disastrous waters of the United States rule. It's gone, unquote. Supporters of the Endangered Species Act are calling on Congress to vote to remove William Penley as acting director of the Bureau of Land Management, or BLM. As acting director, Penley has a long history of opposing federal land protections and conservation laws. He's called the Endangered Species Act unconstitutional and a joke. Penley has worked for decades to weaken federal land protections, such as those that safeguard national monuments. A few months ago, while serving as BLM acting director, Pendley published an opinion piece in the Las Vegas Review-Journal calling for BLM law enforcement rangers to assume a secondary and assisting role to local and state officials when operating on our public lands. In other words, according to the Endangered Species Coalition, quote, Penley has very publicly demonstrated a reluctance to carry out his job of overseeing our public lands and the enforcement of laws that Congress passed to protect them, unquote. The BLM oversees 245 million acres of land, more than any other federal agency. That acreage includes habitat for more than 300 wildlife, fish, and plant species protected under the Endangered Species Act and 12 species designated as candidates for listing. The Earth has seen a gigantic spike in HFC-23, one of the world's most potent greenhouse gases. In fact, Levels of the gas, which is more than 12,000 times more harmful than carbon dioxide, are higher than ever before. In 2017, India and China reported that they had reduced their HFC-23 emissions to almost nothing, but a year later, emissions were at an all-time high of 15,900 tons, equivalent to the annual emissions from some 50 coal-fired power plants. HFC-23 is used in manufacturing refrigerators and air conditioners and is vented into the atmosphere during the production of HCFC-22, a chemical used in cooling systems in developing countries. The researchers didn't try to identify the source of the emissions. However, the Environmental Investigation Agency, a non-governmental organization that monitors environmental crimes, observed that China is likely to be a major perpetrator because it holds 68% of the capacity for the production of HCFC-22. Under a global treaty called the Montreal Protocol, HCFC-22 is being phased out throughout the world. And now, for our feature, we will hear Enrique Sanz from the Indiana Environmental Reporter talk about suspension of water regulations in Indiana. Back in 2017, President Donald Trump, backed by other politicians and business interests, held a press conference at the White House. 
going to free up our country, and it's going to be done in a very environmental and positive environmental way, I will tell you that. But create millions of jobs. So many jobs are delayed for so many years, and it's unfair to everybody. President Trump was talking about a 2015 rule that expanded the definition of waters of the United States, also known as WOTUS. Basically, the rule added eight broad categories of waterways, like tributaries and interstate waters, under the protection of the Clean Water Act instead of more lenient state environmental regulations. That meant businesses and other entities that dump water and pollutants into those waterways would be bound to follow stricter regulations. The president described it this way. It's a horrible, horrible rule. Has sort of a nice name, but everything else is bad. I've been hearing about it for years and years. I didn't know I'd necessarily be in this position to do something about it, but we've been hearing about it for years. With today's executive order, I'm directing the EPA to take action, paving the way for the elimination of this very destructive and horrible rule. In February 2017, Trump issued an executive order calling for a review of the rule. In September of last year, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers repealed the rule. This is EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler announcing that decision. Today, EPA and the Army Corps are proposing a new definition of waters in the United States that puts an end to the previous administration's power grab. The three overarching principles that I wanted to ensure are in this proposal are one, that property owners should be able to stand on their property and be able to tell whether or not they have water that is a federal water without having to hire outside professionals. Number two, that we are clearly defining the difference between a federally protected waterway and state protected waterways. And three, that we are providing the certainty the American public needs and in a manner that will be upheld by the courts. That is why we are closely following the language of the Clean Water Act and the three Supreme Court decisions. When the Obama EPA put forward their 2015 definition, they claimed it was in the best interest of water quality. But it was really about power, power in the hands of the federal government over farmers, developers, and landowners. Opponents of the WOTUS rule, including many agricultural interests, argue that the definitions were ambiguous and would allow the federal government to pick and choose when it would intervene. The perceived regulatory uncertainty was used as justification for the repeal of the 2015 definitions and a return to a more streamlined interpretation of protected waters. Indiana state officials welcome the repeal and a future role in establishing new protection definitions. The commissioner of the Indiana Department of Environmental Management, whose agency's mission statement calls for a balance between regulations that protect human health and the operations of economic activities vital to a prosperous economy, welcomed the return to the previous regulatory definition. It provides certainty. It allows people to understand the roles of the state and federal governments in ensuring our water quality is clean. Bruce Kettler, the head of the state's agricultural department, also welcomed the repeal of the rule, saying that the state trusted its landowners to keep waters clean. He said that while it's important to maintain clean water, the WOTUS rule contradicted how conservation is approached in Indiana, which is to support and encourage the voluntary efforts of landowners. Many farming organizations came out against the 2015 rule, even though they have largely been exempt from Clean Water Act regulations. The president of the American Farm Bureau, Zippy Duvall, said the WOTUS rule was unreasonable and unworkable and made conservation more difficult and created huge liabilities for farmers. When you take 
private property rights from a man that's worked all his life or, or generations in his family to work, pay for, to pay the taxes on, to grow the food and fiber for all of us to sit down and enjoy three times a day, that is very intrusive to him. And he can, it, it's something that he just can't stand for. The U.S. Poultry and Egg Association, National Chicken Council, National Turkey Federation, and many other agricultural organizations filed suit in several states to stop the 2015 rule from taking effect. The Trump orders repeal was finalized January 23rd, but the Obama-era rule never went into effect in Indiana. The state is one of 28 states that were never bound by the 2015 definitions due to legal challenges. Public and private research on the health of Indiana's waters show the state's hands-off water quality efforts have not been effective. According to the U.S. Geological Survey, about 40% of land in the U.S. is used for agriculture of all types. One of the leading sources of water pollution in U.S. waterways is agricultural runoff. That's when things like animal waste, fertilizer, or pesticides leave farm fields because of rain or irrigation and enter the waterways. State data shows that farming has affected more of the state's waterways since 2010. Under the Clean Water Act, states are required by law to provide information on the water quality status of all waters in the state every two years. They must also submit a list of waters the state deems impaired or threatened. IDEM listed commercial fertilizer applications, confined animal feeding operations, and manure applications as major sources of groundwater contamination with the highest priority. All three could affect human health or the environment. Between 2010 and 2018, the miles of streams affected by animal and livestock feeding operations and agriculture doubled. Permitted runoff from confined animal feeding operations affected 44% more miles of streams. In early 2019, IDEM cited three hog farms in eastern Indiana for manure spills and other runoff that resulted in two fish kills in a Salamone River. They were charged a $15,000 penalty for killing more than 3,100 fish. IDEM also proposed a $16,000 civil penalty on a Union City hog farm after fluid from hog carcasses entered a creek and killed nearly 3,000 fish last September. Agriculture is not solely responsible for pollution in Indiana waterways. Many of the state's other economic drivers contribute to water pollution as well. Over the last decade, the number of Indiana waters with impairments has more than doubled. In 2010, the state reported 3,149 total water body impairments. Nearly a decade later, the number jumped to 6,738. The number of miles of streams affected by those impairments has also risen drastically. The number of stream miles impaired by E. coli contamination nearly doubled. Some strains of the bacterium produce a powerful toxin that can cause severe illness. In 2018, the state reported that more than 24,000 miles of streams were impaired by E. coli. State data also indicates a rise in stream areas where fish are contaminated with PCB, a group of persistent man-made chemicals that can cause cancer and have other toxic effects. The number jumped from 3,473 miles in 2010 to 5,284 miles in 2018. Numbers for other impairments like ammonia, oxygen depletion, unknown source and non-point source contamination have all greatly increased since 2010. The repeal has been finalized, but environmental advocacy groups say they will challenge the repeal in court. For EcoReport, I'm Phil Casper. And I'm Don Guerra. Support for EcoReport comes from Blooming Foods Market in Delhi. Bloomington's locally grown co-op grocery since 1976, 
offering products with a focus on local, fair trade, natural, and organic, with support for farmers, producers, agencies, and artisans. Blooming Foods Market and Deli on East 3rd Street near College Mall, West 6th Street near the Courthouse Square, and Shreve Hall on the Ivy Tech campus. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in south-central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for EcoReport, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. The hike series at Brown County State Park continues on Saturday, February 1st from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. This is the annual winter dog hike, which is a scavenger-style program that will allow you and your four-legged friend to journey along the trails in the park while looking for clues. Registration is not required. A celebration of cranes will take place on Saturday, February 1st at Muscatatuck National Wildlife Refuge near Seymour, Indiana. That's from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. February is a huge migration time for Sandhill Cranes. Right now, there are thousands in the area. For more information, email muscatatuck at fws.gov or call 812-522-4352, extension 12. A Groundhog Day hike is planned at Spring Mill State Park on Sunday, February 2nd from 1 to 2.30 p.m. Meet Tony at the pool parking lot for a hike on the mountain bike trail to see if you will see your shadow. This is a two-mile moderate hike. Another winter hike at Brown County State Park will take place on Saturday, February 8th from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. to the boulder in the tree, a true phenomenon that you will want to see. Meet at the Nature Center to carpool to the trailhead of Horse Trail A. This is a two-mile round-trip off-trail hike that is a bit rugged, so dress appropriately. Two full-moon owl hikes will take place at the Fairfax State Recreation Area at Monroe Lake on Sunday, February 9th. The first hike is at 5.30 to 6.30 p.m., with the second hike at 7 to 8 p.m. It is mating season for owls, which means it's owl-calling season. Dress warmly. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eagle Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Enrique Sands. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. David Lyman wrote the script and Linda Green edited it. Patrick Kelnan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Don Guerra. And I'm Phil Casper. And this is Eco Report.
You've been listening to The Eco Report. A volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB. In Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source. For South Central Indiana. Bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.